It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. On this episode of ATG Cast, Podcast of the Will sits down with original Star Wars show host Peter Townley as we jump into the prequel trilogy with our canon study of Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. We get our two characters right away. Older guy, grizzled, beard, younger guy, fresh-faced, short haircut. They immediately sort of disagree on what's going on with the situation. I have a bad feeling about this. They hit you with the most familiar line in Star Wars. Yes. They're the rookie and the veteran. You always the podcast of the wheels grace peace and welcome to podcast of the wheels the podcast that treats star wars like a sacred text i am your host nick milky and welcome again to another episode of podcast of the wheels a proud part of the atg cast podcast stream if you're unfamiliar with atg cast if you're new here if you're just kind of figuring it out Welcome. We're so glad you're here. ATG Cast is a coalition of efforts between me and my good buddy Pete, who is the host of the Around the Galaxy podcast. He also hosts Disturbances in the Force, which is a weekly five-minute Star Wars news wrap-up. No clickbait, no spin, just all the news you need from the galaxy far, far away. He and I also host together a show called Streaming Star Wars, which is a podcast that happens anytime there's new streaming content on Disney+, Plus, whether it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett. Coming up in the future, we're going to have Andor, Ahsoka. There's so many great things coming up. So we host that show once a week on Fridays, looking at the week before us, looking at the show that we just had, and digging a little bit deeper into that show. This week on Podcast of the Wheels, I am excited for us to jump into the next phase of our canon study, which is the prequel trilogy. We've spent our time initially in the original trilogy. We've gone through those three movies. We've had some great conversations. We've dug a little bit deeper into what those episodes and those parts of those episodes mean to our guests. And this next series is going to be no exception. We are going to jump in with episode one, The Phantom Menace, and we are kicking it off this week with an amazing guest. We have Mr. Peter Townley. You most likely know Peter as one of the original hosts of the Star Wars show that was put out by Lucasfilm back in the day. That show has evolved over the years. It's had some different hosts, but Peter was one of the original folks that started that. He is also an actor. He is a farmer, as we will talk about. He is just kind of a man about town. He does a little bit of everything, but most of all, he loves Star Wars, and he loves Star Wars on a deep, deep level, and he has a great knowledge of history, which is one of the things that I've loved about hearing him, not only on other shows, but as we had this conversation, listening to Peter dig into Star Wars and from a canon study perspective, while also painting it in the light of real historical events that we have all experienced 
is a lot, a lot of fun. So I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And we're going to jump in right now with Mr. Peter Townley right after these messages. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Peter, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm really excited to hang out this afternoon, and I appreciate you being willing to join me. Yeah, of course. Um, before we get into our study, which is kind of the key focal point of what we want to do, um, I do want to give people a chance to get to know you a little bit better. So kind of give us a generic, you know, who Peter is. Just give us kind of the 411 on Peter. Ah, geez. Well, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I'm a... I was a kid who grew up in a on a very hot, dusty farm in uh, in California. <laughs> Sounds um, like somebody else we know. Yeah, you know, it's just and so yeah, I was you know, uh, I when I saw Star Wars, I I was able to very easily see myself in it right away. No doubt. And I spent, you know, I spent my childhood, you know, like Luke did, and like I think George Lucas did, because Tatooine is also Modesto. <laughs> um, you know, sort of wondering what else was out there for him, you know? Right. And so I, I got out of my, my small little town. Um, and I, you know, I went to, I, you know, went to, went to college, um, lived in Southern California for a while, have kind of sort of been all over the place. I've worked in, you know, I've worked in conservation. I've worked in agriculture. Um, I was an actor for a little while. Um, I'm, as it turns out, a farmer again uh, these days. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's always hard to say where life is going to take me next. But um, you know, this is this is uh, this is where I am right now. Is sort of uh, back, you know, back in the back in the place where the story started for the moment. Absolutely. I love that. Um, well, tell us a little bit about your Star Wars origin story. I know that, you know, you certainly grew up relating to Luke Skywalker as somebody who lived in a desert and on a farm and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. when did you see Star Wars first? What do you remember about those specific experiences? The funny thing is, is that I don't actually 
remember when I first saw Star Wars. Okay. The first time I remember seeing it, I don't know if it's the first time I thought that I saw the movie or not. Um, it was at um, it was at the birthday party. I believe it was the seventh birthday party of um, a kid that I a kid that I knew, a kid that mm-hmm. was uh, several miles away. Um, and, uh, so this would have been like 1983, 1984. Okay. And so, so nobody, still nobody owned a VCR. Uh, you went to the store, you rented the VCR and you rented the tape. And (laughs) so it came in a little briefcase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His parents had rented a a VCR and star Wars for his birthday. And we were watching it on probably like a, you know, 13 inch CRT television. (laughs) And I remember my parents came to uh, to pick me up, and um, the trench run was going. It was happening. It's like you know, mm-hmm. it's the climax of the film, and they're like, "We got to go home." And I was like, "But right. you know," but I was like, "But I want to see how it ends." And my <laughs> and my mom or dad was just like, "You already know how it ends." Um, so either either I had seen the movie before. Or just by being a kid growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, I already knew everything about the movie, whether I'd seen it right. or not. Um, but that's the first time I remember watching Star Wars was at that birthday okay. party. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, it went from there and you grew up with it. And, you know, you had, you know, experiences, I'm sure, as a kid playing Star Wars. And, oh, yeah. you know, it, like everybody else did, either burying those figures somewhere in your backyard never to be found again or freezing a Han Solo in an ice cube tray because, you know, that was the carbonite we had available to us. Yeah. The classics. Um, Yeah. Yeah. At the time. So, well, that's awesome. And then you grow up, you do all these different things, you become an actor, you work and you get to work on the star Wars show. You were one of the first hosts of the star Wars show. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. Well, what happened was, is that, um, you know, I'd, uh, you know, I'd moved to, I moved to the San Francisco Bay area um, and, uh, I was, you know, I had a couple of part-time jobs, one of which was that I was, you know, an, you know, an actor, which, you know, it's like a stage, very occasional TV or film thing, little small projects, but mostly like commercials, mostly commercials right. in the tech sector for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, my, so uh, my agent, um, sends me an email one day and she says, Hey, um, uh, Lucasfilm is looking for somebody for some web content and they're, (laughs) they want, uh, everyone we submit to just write a little paragraph about, you know, about what star Wars is to you. Like, what is your experience with star Wars? What does it mean to you? Um, so I probably wrote way too much because I just have way too much to say. Sure. Um, and I got called into audition. Um, there was a total of, there was a two, I did a total of six auditions. I ended up doing like two newsread auditions and like, it, and I think three different like interview type auditions. Okay. Um, before I, and it was like, there were, there were three auditions and then I heard nothing for a really long time because <laughs> I think the force awakens came out and it was just all hands on deck for that. And, sure. um, then I, then I ended up running into the producer, uh, Scott Bromley. I mm-hmm. ran into him at a comedy festival 
we were both seeing Maria Bamford. Okay. Um, and he said, and I just told him in the lobby, he was like, hey, man, I, th- I, th- I think this thing might be coming back and I'm going to get in touch with you again. And so like, yeah, a few weeks later, I ended up doing, uh, doing like three more auditions. Um, it was so funny. Cause like, I felt like I really had the job because I like, I was just doing an improv bit. I dropped mm-hmm. a couple of phrases in Mando that I knew from the Republic <laughs> commando games nice and like scott like called mad martin in like you gotta listen you like <laughs> this guy's one of us this guy. <laughs> so i love that yeah that was so that was that was uh that was really funny um well, surely surely that sets you apart from somebody else who's just looking for a hosting gig <laughs> yeah, that, yeah you know. certainly i was i was probably one of the biggest nerds that i did that audition <laughs> for the job but yeah, I ended up, I, you know, I um, ended up doing that for the, you know, for the first season of the show. Um, I got to go to a Star Wars celebration, which I, you know, which I'd never, never been to before um, in London, which was okay. really, really cool. Um, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, got to do some fun, like little, like remote type things, like go to the Sonoma, Sonoma Raceway and like try mm-hmm. to answer trivia questions going 100 miles an hour or whatever. <laughs> we got to do a lot of cool stuff. It was a really, it was a really fun little gig and um, getting called in uh, on subsequent seasons just for sketches or something like that sure. now and then. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it is one of those, you know, for people of a certain age or maybe even, people of any age that have a fandom of any kind to then get the opportunity to work in that fandom, to work in something that you love, you know, on a lot of different levels certainly has to be special and add kind of a different element to it. Um, I haven't gotten that opportunity yet. So I just make it up myself at home on a weekly basis in my garage, you know, as do all the other star Wars podcasters and YouTubers and whatever it is that we do. Nobody asked me to talk about it. So I'm just going to do it anyhow. I like Um, that. (laughs) <laughs> you know what? See what you want and go after it. Um, well, that's really cool. And then we have to touch on this because it is it recently has become certainly a kind of a part of um, your identity, especially sometimes when you put things up on Twitter. Um, you're back to farming. You ended up back in the farm yeah. zone. Um, talk about that for a minute. Well, I'm, I'm back on the cattle ranch just because, you know, there's there's just sort of a my family just needs me right now. Um, and so, uh, so I'm back up here. It's, uh, it's winter time, which means Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, feeding the cows, you know, every day and that kind of thing. And it's, a, it's a, it's a big ranch. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of things to repair, a lot of new things to build. Um, and, uh, it's been, so let's see, I've been back since like fall 2020. Um, so I've been back for for a minute now Um, absolutely but it's been you know it's been uh it's been nice to just you know really uh be outdoors as they say on twitter Mm -hmm. touch grass absolutely uh, again (laughs) yeah well and that was going to be that was going to kind of be my follow-up question because you do still have something of a twitter presence you pop in and out of things on occasion yeah but you know it is also one of those things that like it has to be really grounding and therapeutic to be able to go and you know we all have these moments of feeling this way if i have a weekend where i'm doing yard work or right now i'm in the process of building a new 
playhouse for my kids in our backyard and getting out and spending the day doing physical labor and being in the sunshine and not looking at my phone every five minutes and not getting wrapped up in somebody's bullcrap argument that they're having about something that's not real in a space that's also not real. Um, (laughs) It probably has to be, you know, even though you're fulfilling family obligations and doing something like that, that's an important, it also has to feel good to kind of have that space to breathe and to have that opportunity to unplug from, you know, some of that other nonsense that happens in the world. It is, it is really nice to just be able to kind of, slow down a little bit because you're you know when you're doing farming and ranching you're really on nature's clock there's Mm. there's so many things that are out of your control right um, that are and it's so much clearer that this is the case because this is the case for everything all the time most of what happens <laughs> you know what's funny is my I'm replying to a chat comment. Yes. My dad is why I, I haven't seen Yellowstone. My dad is watching it right now and he calls me up every <laughs> once in a while to discuss the accuracy of it. Like he's <laughs> like, you would not believe what they did this week. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. P- Michael in the chat said Peter is living his own Yellowstone. Um that I had yeah. that thought earlier too. So that's no, one, one thing that they did get right on the show is that uh there was a thing about um uh elk uh that uh Elk calves are born without any smell, so okay. wolves cannot find them easily. And so the mothers tend to leave the calves alone and kind of wander away from them to attract predators away from the calf. And that is, mm-hmm. we we have elk, we have elk around here. Yeah, that is actually true. Yeah, that's cool. That's really awesome. Uh, well, Michael is a host of his own show, and they do re- recap episodes for Yellowstone. So maybe one day you'll have to be his real world expert and yeah, maybe find, yeah, find out. okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll have to watch it and see and see. That's right. Yeah. Get get connected in there and be his source. Um, well, that's awesome. Well, we're going to transition here in just a minute into our canon study, but before we do, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna ask you two questions. The first one is more just kind of Star Wars in general. The other one will relate to our study. I love asking my guests who have any kind of Star Wars fandom who come on the show and hang out because kind of the angle of the show is we treat Star Wars like a sacred text. It's something, you know, I always joke, it's a Bible study, but instead of the Bible, we're using Star Wars. So using that kind of spiritual lens, has there been a time? Has there been an experience? Has there been a moment in your Star Wars life where you had a Star Wars spiritual experience? Maybe some moment where it hit you in a way that was bigger than just a movie. It felt, you know, it felt spiritual in some way. Can you put your finger on a moment like that? You know, it really is when I was a kid. Okay. It really, it you know that is you know that is one that is one Star Wars meant the most to me, sure. and it's really just my my favorite scene in any Star Wars thing. It's just Luke looking out into the sunset. You just know exactly yes. what he's feeling at that moment. The you know the music hits in a really particular way. And you have the jumping off point, not only into the movie, but just into right. what all of Star Wars is mm-hmm. right in that moment. Um, and, you know, being a kid and feeling really small and just in the middle of nowhere and seeing someone look off and they don't even realize 
you know, the adventure that's waiting for them. Right. That was kind of, it. you know, it was something that as a kid, it always made me feel like there was something more out there for me. And that gave me mm -hmm. just so much hope. It was, it did mean. I really love that. Yeah. I really love that. And I think that I relate to that in a very specific way as well, because I was born in 78. So I grew up with Star Wars. You know, I didn't see the first ones, you know, as a little kid, but I remember seeing Return of the Jedi in the back of my parents station wagon at a drive-in movie theater like that was nice. my first like theater experience theatrical but watching the movies as a kid exactly that moment and when i was a little kid i really just thought it was cool and yeah there were lightsabers and blasters and spaceships later on in the movie but something about that moment stood out to me and i'm sure it was you know like you said the striking nature of the suns and the wind blowing his hair and the music sting i mean I can't go anywhere in my life without thinking about that music sting on random moments and just kind of getting that same chill, that same excitement. Yeah. But then when I fast forward to when they did the special editions in 97 and they put them in the theaters, I went and saw it then. And at that point I was a senior in high school or I had just graduated and was headed to college. And that moment hit me in exactly what you're talking about. I was older I mean, I still didn't know what I was talking about. I was 18 years old, but I saw that and it hit me in that moment of like his whole features in front of him. And of course I had seen the movie, so I knew what that feature and adventure was going to be. But even though I grew up in Selma, Alabama, not the desert in you know California that felt more like Luke Skywalker and Tatooine, I felt like I related in that moment of like, I'm heading off to something else. There's more in front of me. There's something to look forward to. And that every time I've seen it then, as I've continued to be a grown up and have jobs and have kids and all the other things that go on in my life, I always come back to like, that's where it started. And you, you know, you get to a point in life where you look up at how complicated life is, how busy things are, everything you have. And sometimes you want to look back to that Luke moment where you go, man, wasn't it great when I just got to stand and look at the beauty of this and hear, you know, the song. So uh, to me, that's a very, very powerful moment and a very, very worthy spiritual experience is to witness that moment and to have it impact you in that way. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This is Clanker, and apparently I'm also doing commercials now. Nice. Just, uh, just do the read. Fine. Have you ever been listening to a podcast and thought, I wish I was a part of that conversation? Well, of course you 
have. Otherwise, have you made it this far into this episode? Okay, that's nice. Well, with the ATG Cast podcast stream, you can be part of every show. That's right. Join the ATG Cast Patreon program today, and for as little as $3 per month, you'll receive a private link to be part of the live video stream when we record Podcast of the Wills and Around the Galaxy. There are multiple programs to choose from, all with their own unique benefits, including early ad-free access to the shows, free swag, and even invitations to exclusive meet and greets with our celebrity guests. Hey, can I do a meet and greet? Sure you can. Ooh, I can't wait to meet the patrons. No, they're, they're not going to meet you. They're going to meet the guests. Uh, never mind. Remember, every single tier, including the $3 entry level, gets you into the live virtual studio audience when we record. We keep an eye on the live chat, and your question or comment could become a part of our very next episode. Just visit Visit patreon.com slash ATGcast to join today. That's www.atgcast.com or patreon.com slash ATGcast. And now, back to the show. Hey, how'd I do? I mean, it was pretty good. Pretty good. I nailed it. I'm a natural. What were your first Phantom Menace experiences? Seeing that the hype around it, you know, what, what stage you were at in your life, kind of give us your, your first with Phantom Menace. So in, uh, in 1999, that was, that was my last year of college. We're almost okay. the same age. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was really incredible that there was going, I mean, there was going to be a new Star <laughs> Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. For, for me and all my friends who were born between 1977 and 1979, it was just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Can you believe there's going to be a new Star Wars? And so, I mean, and so there was, and so, yeah, there was all this hype. There were all these products. We probably, you know, like on our dorm room style, like 1999 version of the internet, you know, <laughs> Like probably, you know, in a window like this, this big, you yes. know, <laughs> seeing the, you know, watching the trailer, the trailer over yep. and over again type yep. of thing. Um, you know, there was a lot of anticipation for it. Um, and yeah, like I went to see it with um, with my girlfriend and I believe my friends Mike and Sam. And I think it was the four of us. We went to see it the morning after it opened at okay. like 10 a.m. And mm-hmm. I was going to school at, at UC Santa Barbara. So it was in Santa Barbara, California. Right. Um, and so we, the theater's almost empty. There was probably like a dozen people there because <laughs> it was nine in the morning, you know, the yeah. morning after opening night. Um, and uh, there was like, it was, man. The, th- the thing that and this is this is something that that people who are younger now may not necessarily remember is that like um, people sort of act like, oh, everyone's so politically correct now. And it's and it's and it's all and it's just like that's not new. That right. was that's st- like when we were kids, there was the big like moral panic about music and movies <laughs> and music. stuff in the 19 in the 80s and early 90s. Yes. And that also led into 
when we first started using the phrase political correctness in the Correct. like in the early 90s i remember that being mm -hmm. a big thing in the clinton administration yes, and so much of our pop culture especially especially like the mtv stuff um <laughs> like dennis leary's entire career was exactly. all based around like punching hole like pcu was one of our favorite yep. movies in college for you know yep. it was all about punching holes in that people were really really skeptical of it then too just as just as they are now um but like you know we went to we went to went and saw the phantom menace and it was just it was a very quiet car ride back because <laughs> we were all so confused about what we had just seen correct you know we we were, we were all kids who grew up with with star wars and like right. after about 10 minutes or so i think it was my friend i think it was my friend mike who broke the silence and he just said I wasn't expecting there to be so many racial stereotypes in Star Wars. <laughs> like even us who were very jaded about the whole political correctness thing, sure. our whole sense of humor was largely yeah. based around being inappropriate. You know, right. going to like Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Film Festival and watching like that pilot episode of South Park that they showed uh -huh. out. Like yeah. even we were just like, isn't it kind of weird <laughs> that there were like Asian accents and like my friend Mike, he's just like, I'm Jewish and Italian, and I don't know which half of me is offended at the auto mechanic. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> like, between between the Trade Federation guys and Watto, we're just going, what is happening? It's just like, <laughs> wait, how did this happen? Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. and I mean, when you and when you read um, when you read reviews of the film at the time, critics were really bewildered by this too. Um, and like Jar Jar was this very 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 divisive thing. Because a lot of people were just like, what the F is like, what the, what right. is this? Yeah. You know, and what, like, were we somehow punked? What is going yeah, on? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me in the wrong way? You know, but just like, yeah, you know, that was, you know, it's something that's for children. He kind of based the character on Goofy, but unfortunately, right. Goofy is also based on some very harmful racial stereotypes. And so <laughs> exactly. that kind of comes out in that character and unfortunately Ahmed Best kind of got thrown under the bus because people right. like blamed him for that as if that was his fault and yeah it was like what? he didn't write that he showed up no. and did what he was told <laughs> he was tw like 23 years old or something yeah he was Since excited he was to have Wars. a job in Star Wars. Job. Yeah. yeah you know it's so like yeah the Phantom Menace was a really it was at the time it was really confusing because not only like not only like were we not expecting the kind of Star Wars movie that we got, because it's a very different one. George Lucas had yes. a lot of different ideas about what mm -hmm. he wanted to do with the prequel trilogy, and we didn't understand that at the time. But also like, you know, this will get us into talking about it. Like yeah. the Rick McCallum quote about Star Wars that gets used a lot is, it's so dense. It's so <laughs> dense. So dense. And it's like the Phantom Menace is in fact very, very dense. And that's it's the perfect very, segue. It's a very dense text, and it's hard mm -hmm. sometimes to make a whole lot of sense of it when you're watching. Uh, it was like in the theater; it's just kind of like too much information, right? I think because when you slow down and really go through it, if like I think the way I put it to Scotty was like to really understand the Phantom Menace, I hope you got to be in AP U.S. history because <laughs> exactly like there's like a lot a lot of the yeah. stuff that you have to know. 
in the real world to understand what's going mm -hmm. on in Phantom Menace is not like it's not that's it's not something a seven year old is really going to get. They're just going to like Jar Jar and spaceships. Yeah, yeah they're going to like the fact uh, that that one animal farts. And yeah, you know, exactly. All, all, that, that, that's part, what it's yes. there for. Yes. And so, well, and I think that's such a great point, and that creates the perfect transition into you know this canon study idea. But it's another one of those things. And I'm like you, like I left after I saw it the first time and I was like, that's not what I thought I was getting. Like no. <laughs> in my, you know, in my dorm room, same way we had the, you know, the T1 computer access. And so, you know, as we're downloading, you know, the trailers and like, I remember leaving the QuickTime thing up all night so that it would slowly download so that when the <laughs> bar was full, I knew I could actually play it and watch it. And, you know, it, we had the hype and we had the buildup because we didn't have, the version of the internet we had now instead of Twitter, we had AOL instant messenger where we could get in fights with each other because there was no tone to it. Yeah. Um, but even for the moments, you know, from that, you know, why are we talking about trade routes? Why are we talking about, you know, sanctions and all these other things. And for the people that pitched a fit about it, you also have to stop and remember that's what George Lucas does. That's what George Lucas did in the seventies with star Wars. He's talking about Vietnam. He's talking about, mm -hmm. you know, imperialism. Like he's talking about other real world things, but the real world changed in the 20 something years since the last time he had done that. So he updated it and it became, you know, again, other historical real world, you know, connections of one-to-ones. And if you go into it thinking, you know, you, a lot of people didn't come to Star Wars looking for commentary, and it turns out there's commentary there anyhow. Mm. You know, they, they just want to show up and have bad guys get shot. Well, that's the good thing. You're going to get that, too. But if you only expect it to be one thing, which is a great lesson about Star Wars and Twitter in general, if you expect it just to be one thing, you may be disappointed because there's a lot more there than just that one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, that becomes much more of a conversation eventually when we get to the sequel movies. And, you know, I mean, I love and I will unapologetically go on and on at some point about The Last Jedi because I love the narrative stuff in The Last Jedi. And I mean, it's in the trailer. This isn't going to go the way you think. And the whole movie is built on the fact that what you think this is, is not what this is that yeah. works in the movie that works in real life. Like there's so much there. And that's why I think that movie is so brilliant is just the meta narrative that's running underneath all of it, telling sweaty nerds like me, Hey, you need to take a chill pill because it's not all about you. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, it's one of the funny things too, is that, you know, all the sequel outrage, it's just like, and it's just like, I'm not a big fan of the sequels either, but it's also just like, sure. yeah, I've done this already. I did this. Yeah. Uh, I did this in the late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands. Like, that's right. I'm not going to blow my back over this. I learned my lesson <laughs> twenty years ago. Yeah. Turns out I've got other things going on in my life to be mad about. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's do this. Let's jump into Phantom Menace. Our text for this episode was about the first twenty minutes or so. so yeah, I'm going to say I'm actually going to say twenty two minutes. Is okay, where, perfect. Is where we should end it. Yeah, perfect. Well, I will take it. Um, the first question we always ask with our sacred text is, what is the text telling us? And I always couch this kind of as the little or literal interpretation. What are the things that you see kind of literally in these moments that we're looking at? Yeah, and there is, you know, there there is a lot of literal in the text yeah. of this. And it's interesting also talking about his text because the first minute or so of any star wars film <laughs> is actual text it's just text yes. um because like for episode episode one actually gives a lot of information in the opening crawl um, it does. a lot 
but again, you gotta you gotta try and read it a little bit closely because the words are all chosen very very carefully. Right. Um, and it doesn't start at the opening crawl. It starts at the first piece of text in the movie is a long time ago in a galaxy far far away. Yes. <laughs> so what Star Wars lets you and what it, what is this is Star Wars is letting you know right away that this is a fairy tale. This is the mm-hmm. way that fairy tales start. Yes. Once upon a time in a faraway yep. land. Um, so, and Star Wars also by doing that, by taking something familiar and slightly changing it, it kind of lets you know, in a way, this is how you watch the movie. The movie is going to have things that are familiar to you. It's a fairy tale. So there's going to be kings and queens and scary monsters and knights and wizards and like and secret destinies and all that stuff like mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of that's the kind of movie we're going to be watching it lets you know to look for the things that are familiar and the next piece of text is episode 1 <laughs> so it's also also this is a prequel the movies that we have already seen are 4 5 and 6 mm-hmm. so the movie is also letting you know that, okay, this isn't the first in a series. This is, we're going back in time. So you're going to need to know things from four five and six in order to stand, understand this movie. You know, it's, it's a, it's a prequel. There can't be a whole lot of surprises. It's the setup for the things that you already know. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, and I think the interesting thing with that is, you know, let's say use my, I've got a five-year-old for my five-year-old. It's, it's not a prequel. Like it's just a movie because yeah. unless you have the context of four five and six, a prequel isn't a thing. It's just the first one. Yeah. And so that's something that I come back to on occasion is if you're born past a certain period of time, you know, even if you were born, you know, after, you know, revenge of the Sith came out, there's six movies have always existed. So it's really not a prequel if you just go, oh yeah, that's the first one. And then they only become sequels after that, which is kind of a funny, funky way yeah. to look at it. But you didn't necessarily, you me, yeah, you didn't necessarily yeah. see four five and six first if you were right. born after 1999 or Correct. even shortly you know, before, a, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Become a weird other, you know, in between with it. And so it to kind of tag along to your point, you know, there's one way to look at it and go, these are prequels. Yeah, but there's another way to look at it where it says episode one, where it's just telling us this is a beginning. Yeah, the movie is largely incomprehensible if you haven't seen the original trilogy, though. Right, <laughs> because <laughs> so many moments are in the film are like revealing a familiar yeah. character, and like that moment is not going to mean anything to you if you've never seen another Star yeah. Wars. You're not going to fa- it's not going to pay off for you unless you watch five more movies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And um, so we get the we get the title, the Phantom yes. Menace. Um, first sentence of the opening crawl is, "Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic." Mm-hmm. So, most of what we know about what happens before that original trilogy comes from a single monologue by Alec Guinness in Star Wars. Right. Where he's you know for a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians mm-hmm. of peace and justice in the old Republic. Yep. So it's letting you know this is that time. This Here is that are. old republic. It is the it is the republic, and it is called the Galactic Republic. And we know that the Jedi were the gardens of peace and justice in the galaxy. So this is a very mm-hmm. large 
large government. It's big enough to where it's called the Galactic (laughs) Republic. It doesn't have any other qualifiers or names to it. It's just the government. The, it's the one. Yeah, and turmoil has engulfed it, as in pretty much an entire galaxy, all of civilization is in a really bad way right now. Our next sentence is, famously, the taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Okay, so the turmoil (laughs) is due to a dispute that's going on. Um, And our dispute is the taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems. Okay, so we have a republic. Mm-hmm. So this republic is made of star systems, and some of them are outlying. They're on the periphery, which means that there must also be star systems that are closer to the center. Right. And there are trade routes that go between the periphery and the center. So if, again, we, were, we remember our, you know, taking history in high school, mm-hmm. this is how this is essentially imperialism. This Correct. is how it works. You have Mm -hmm. a core of highly developed nations or states or kind of this is a this is a republic. So, you know, your planets, your systems would be kind of like the states or provinces. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have those at the center and then you have resources that are being brought in from the outside, usually in the, you know, maybe in the form of raw materials to be refined, et cetera, et cetera. And then goods also go the other way, but those tend to be probably more luxury luxury items. It's kind of a losing proposition if you're in one of the outlying <laughs> systems. It's, right. It's not being in the outlying systems <laughs> kind of sucks. You're getting exploited yeah, by the great. people who are yeah, you're getting exploited by the people who are at the center. So the taxation of trade routes to those outlying systems is 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 what's in dispute. So Taxes on trade are most commonly tariffs, mm-hmm. which we got real familiar with um, from 2016 to 2020, because yep. this was a big foreign policy issue, especially with China. This, this idea yes. that there was a trade imbalance, that we right. were getting that that we were getting a bad deal, the worst deal mm-hmm. anyone's ever seen. Right. <laughs> um, and so this is apparently the sort of dispute that is going on that is going on. Um, whether it may be one part of the Republic is getting taxed and thinks that these are too high. Another part mm-hmm. of the Republic is, is going, we need this taxation because we are, because all of the profit is simply going, you know, going too far in one direction. Right. So, so the next sentence is a very long one. Hoping to, Resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly starships. The greedy trade federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. This is maybe the densest sentence in the entire opening crawl. (laughs) This is where the most information is. That's right. So in this dispute, the major player is the trade federation. This is a tricky name, right? Because you've got a federation, their form of government, and trade, they're also some kind of uh, there's some kind of there's some kind of business, um, which at first we kind of go, well, how does that? They're they're a government, but they're all. <laughs> 
there is a historical precedence for this, actually. Um, a lot of that, a lot of the politics of the Phantom Menace, which is a movie about politics, correct, uh, reminds me of um, the history of the late 19th century, kind of mm-hmm. the peak of the Age of Empires leading up to World War One, which was kind of the thing that ended that. Um, and one of the reasons that the British Empire was so prosperous is all of the <laughs> trade that they did with India, right? And the English government itself wasn't involved in the governance of India. What mm-hmm. they had was they had a charter with a company called the East India Trade Company. <laughs> That's exactly what the I was East, thinking. The East India Trade Company moved mm-hmm. all of these goods between India, an yep. outlying area of the British Empire, to the core, to England itself. And part and they had exclusive rights to move things between India and and England. And also they were in charge of governing India. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. basically ran the territories of Britain uh, in England. There were members, they were guys who were uh, governors of the four, I believe it was four regions of India. And one of them was a guy um, whose job was to communicate directly to the crown, right. um, to the executive the executive commander, the king, um, uh, viceroy is what you call mm-hmm. the person who has that position. That's going. That's to right. The that viceroy. Position. Yeah. So trade federation. We could, you know, are. It's just like okay. So maybe like the something like the East India Trade Company. They've got Absolutely. their own military. They've got their own system of government, and they are responsible for a large amount of the prosperity of the republic. Mm-hmm. And this, the adjective we're given for them is greedy. So whatever, what they are up to has to do with the profit motive. This dispute all has to do for them with the bottom line. So what they have done is they have stopped all shipping to this small planet, Naboo. Mm -hmm. And what they are doing is they they are hoping that stopping shipping to the planet with a blockade of deadly starships. Damn. Okay, so <laughs> a blockade is not just is not just an embargo or a boycott. A blockade is an act of war. A blockade is when you surround something uh, in order to prevent anything from going in or out, and you are enforcing that by use of arms. Um, it is simply an act. if you blockade someone with a navy or an army. You have you have essentially just you've thrown down the gauntlet. You've already yep. declared war. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a very this is a very big deal. We're I mean <laughs> we're kind of at like they're hoping to resolve the matter simply by being Nebu is described as being small. The trade yep. federation is probably very large. Sure. Um, this is this is not this already is going badly for Nabu at the start of the movie. We're finally on to the next sentence. (laughs) While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events. Okay. So this, the Republic has a Congress, much like we're familiar with. But we know this is a galactic Republic. This Congress must be freaking huge. This must be thousands, this must be thousands and thousands of representatives 
mm-hmm. who are expected to agree on things enough to get them done. <laughs> and so they are endlessly debating this, but what they're debating is the chain of events, not what's going on. Right. They're mad at each other over whose fault it is. Correct. They're, they're arguing, they're not, the subject of their debate isn't even what's going on in Naboo. It's how did this, okay, it's your fault. How did this happen? Because you Mm -hmm. were the one who proposed the let, no, 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 it's actually your fault that this happened. Right. That's the kind of, they're mad at each other. And so this situation is going on and they're not doing anything about it. Sounds a lot like a certain United States Congress I'm familiar with. You know, well, that's the thing is that, you know, it's, it's notoriously, everyone's just like, I can't get it, can't get anything done. And that's with hundreds of of congressmen with thousands. Wow. Yeah. So the Supreme Chancellor. So we have an executive commander. We have a chancellor, much like you would in a parliamentary government. And he's given the superlative of Supreme. So this is a chancellor who wields a considerable amount of power, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. is what we're being led to believe. So what he's done is he has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights. Secretly is a very important word here. Yes, it is. He has not told anyone that he's doing this. It's possibly something that he's not supposed to do. That was, sorry. That R2 noise was my phone going off. That's okay. Mine makes the same noise. That's why. Yeah, I, was I saw you this. looking down, so I figured it. Would, <laughs> yeah, I figured you might have thought that was it. Um, so yeah, the Supreme Chancellor has done this, and he's doing this clandestinely, mm-hmm. um, and he's dispatched two Jedi Knights, as once again calling back to Obi Wan's monologue, "The Guardians of Peace and Justice yep. in the Galaxy," to settle the conflict. He's sending two guys. Two guys. Into a war zone. Yep. Telling them, sort it out. <laughs> yep. Go, fi- go figure this out. Okay. Wow. So he's just, he's sending these, he's sending two guys to go sort the entire situation out. <laughs> Interesting. Like, why? So he doesn't, so our Supreme Chancellor doesn't have any faith in our Republic's Congress either. Right. And also, he's sending two guys with swords who have psychic powers. To just settle it. Yeah. Which sounds, it already sounds a little bit threatening. Correct. We're being told they're the guardians of peace and justice. But the thing that they're being sent to do doesn't necessarily, what does, I guess maybe peace and justice and the fact that there's, you know, a blockade going on, but like they're being, they're being sent to settle a bill. Yeah. You know, this, it's like, you know, yeah, go down there and, you know, Tell them, uh, make them, make them see reason, you know, make them an offer. They can't refuse. Yeah, exactly. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. 
If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This opening crawl has given us all the information we need. We see mm-hmm. a ship approaching a planet that has all these big warships around it. We know exactly what all these things are. Oh, here's the ambassadors going to this planet that has a military blockade. This movie is very good about trying to give you all the information that you need in order to process the thing that you're seeing. The problem is that we just spent 50 minutes talking about an opening crawl that goes by in 20 yes, seconds. Exactly. You're um, supposed to catch all that. Yeah, hopefully we've caught this. And uh, in this exchange that goes on, um, they say the chancellor's ambassadors are here. Mm-hmm. They don't say that to, they don't say the Jedi are here. Right. So the chancellor has told the trade federation that ambassadors are coming, but he hasn't specified. He hasn't put all those cards on the table. Yeah. That it's, that it's Jedi, that it's uh, Jedi Knights. And when we finally meet our two Jedi Knights, um, the movie tries to very quickly kind of establish, because once again, we're relying on the familiar Right. It kind of goes with, in a way, cop show tropes, mm-hmm. because we get our we get our two characters right away: older guy, grizzled beard; younger guy, fresh faced, short yep. haircut. And the, uh, you know, and they they immediately sort of disagree on what's going on in the situation. <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. They hit you with the most familiar line in Star Wars yep. <laughs> right, right away, right off the bat. Um, and the exchange that they're having. You know, the rookie says, boy, you know, gosh, this sure doesn't sit too well with me. <laughs> nah, forget about a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I've but been, I've been here before. Kid, yeah. He's like, at the academy, they taught me that I should do such and such. Ah, you got to trust your instincts. Yeah. L- you listen know? here, Rook. It's not. Yeah, exactly. They're the rookie and the veteran are the yep. two characters that we're getting. Like right away, they've let us know, like they're using the language of movies with. Mm-hmm. I had an acting teacher who used to say. When you go through a script, especially if it's something like for TV, figure out what cliches are in the script because writers use them all the time over and over again. It's not a bad thing. We use cliches yeah. because they work, because people recognize right. yeah. them. It, and so, yeah. It communicates effectively. Yeah, that's who we've got. We've got we've got the veteran and the rookie. And the rookie, mm-hmm. we find out, is young Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's right. Um, they make they make sure that he says it very very early <laughs> say, on. Say, say the name. Say because it very once it, once again, it's a prequel. We have to know the we have to know what's going on with the other films. Oh, oh that Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I love in this one part of this scene. Pretty early on, they realize something doesn't feel right. Something's off. He kind of says, you know, he makes that line, but they're suspicious. They've been sent on a secret mission. Like there's all these things that are telling you. You, you know, should have be been careful. suspicious already. Yeah. yeah. You should be suspicious, just the nature of what you're doing. You should be careful. But yeah. also there's the dum-dum moment where they get served drinks and they don't hesitate to drink those drinks. I know. And that like, seems a little it seems a little careless. <laughs> yeah, there's a part of me that goes, yeah. they could have just taken care of this right away. But you know, I guess with your Jedi poisoning sensing abilities, you just went ahead and went for it. Well, yeah, and it's you know, and uh Obi-Wan asks them like so how do you essentially how do you think this is going to go? Yeah. And Qui-Gon goes, "Ah. I mean, these are their chicken shits, kid. Don't worry." Yeah, that's it's, right. It's, it's going to be it's sure. It's going to go fast. Like yeah. 
Qui-Gon is just really dismissive of this whole, he just doesn't seem to care. Yeah. He <laughs> is. He's, he's the grizzled old cop. He's yeah, Danny Glover. He's, he's Danny Glover going, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah, exactly. He's very much too old for this shit. He really, really <laughs> is. And yeah, when we get back to the Trade Federation, they are surprised that two Jedi Knights are here. Right. Uh, our female C-3PO TC-14, you know, tells mm-hmm. them yeah. that, yeah, they're, the ambassadors are actually Jedi Knights. Wait, you mean they didn't send accountants to solve this yeah, problem? Yeah, like, whoa, wait, really? really? For real? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and the Viceroy's right-hand man says they're here to force a settlement. He uses the word force. Yep. When the Jedi wait, show wait. up... You, this isn't going to be a back and forth. They're going to tell you how it is. Mm-hmm. This is like, yeah. It, there's an interesting thing that goes on between Newt and his right hand man, in that his right hand man is the one who seems to understand how much trouble they're in. Right. Where Newt has his mind, he's thinking about mm-hmm. his money and yeah. not thinking enough about the risks. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they won't even go into the same room as the Jedi. Because uh, what do we what we know about Jedi is that they control minds, and they're really good with swords. Um, yeah, there's a there's a good there's a good reason to hesitate. One of the funny things is that when the droid does come in with tea, Qui Gon's just like, I don't know why we've been waiting so long. Like, dude, it's been like thirty <laughs> seconds. Exactly, you haven't <laughs> been here that long. He's so impatient. Yeah. <laughs> And they note that, yeah, they're unusually nervous about this. And it's like, really, mm-hmm. you think? Yeah, <laughs> like, that. you guys are here. Like, of course, the, they're the nervous secret, about this. The secret ninja assassins have showed up to solve things. They might yeah. be nervous. I mean, yeah, that is funny. But at, the, but at the same time, like you've said, they're picking up like, okay, what he says is it's, it's weird that they're this nervous about a trade dispute. Like... Mm-hmm. It feels like what's going on is not actually what's going on. <laughs> the movie right. is called The Phantom Menace. It's, you know, mm. it, we get into what is this mysterious thing kind of right away. That's the, the initial question is what's really, you know, what's really going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, Qui-Gon again, he refers to this trade dispute, one in which warships are blockading a planet, which is an act of war. He calls it. Yeah, he's like, Triv- this is trivial. That's what he says. Something as trivial as this. Ah, this bull- what am I? What am I doing out here for this bullshit? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the Trade Federation indeed has something up their sleeve. Once again, the movie just goes right along, and so they talk to their mysterious bad guy, Lord Sidious, who is the Emperor from. Return of bum, the Jedi. Bum, bum. The same guy, the same robes, the same voice, the same lower half of the face. Yeah, that's exactly. just who it is. Um, and it's the but he's being referred to as Lord Sidious. He's mm-hmm. the Emperor, but he's not. In, but he's not in control. We don't really know. We don't really know who he is yet. But once again, Newt's right hand man is just like we got it. <laughs> we uh, we got it. Like they sent Jedi. Yeah. We got it. We got to get out of this. Like we're done, right? Um, and is you know immediately dismissed for doing that. Um, but then what Lord Sidious says to Newt Gunray is, "We have to accelerate our plan. Begin landing your troops." It's just like, oh, so the plan, 
So the plan was that you were going to take over this planet. And it's just like, again, it happens so quickly. It's a piece of information you can, you can miss that. It's not they're Like they have a strategy that they're implementing and the Jedi showing up was not one of the things that they anticipated happening. So it's just like, Oh crap. What do we, okay. okay, Well, I guess we just got to go. Like things are, this is, things are happening much faster than, than we initially wanted them to. So, and this is also where we hear another phrase that kind of gets mocked a lot. It's like, yes, is this legal? And Lord <laughs> says, I will make it legal. Exactly. Meaning that Lord Sidious has some influence in the Republic. Mm-hmm. He's someone who's on the inside. That's right. This is, it's a, the invasion of Naboo is an inside job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The, so, actually, there's someone in the Republic who's responsible for what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Jedi are not aware that this is good, that this is what's going on. That's right. I do love, I love this comment that goes along with that from Michael. He just says somehow Palpatine was around. Somehow <laughs> he was just there. That's right. It's, it's a great, it's a great play on what we get in the sequel trilogy with Palpatine returned at this point. He's just around. That's right. And so, yeah, then, and uh, then pretty much exactly five in it, five minutes into the movie is when, he says to kill, that they're going to kill the Jedi. Right. So, like, <laughs> about right about five minutes into the movie, we get our action scene. Things kick yeah. off. We get lightsabers. We have a bunch of, interestingly, we see that these troops are all droids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we just find out that we find out the Jedi are really just merciless killing machines. They just mow <laughs> through these droids like it's nothing. Uh, so yeah, the poison gas doesn't kill them. The droids didn't nope. kill them. The Trade Federation are panicking. Um, Newt's right-hand man says to him, like, have you ever encountered a Jedi before, sir? Because mm-hmm. Newt's just like, do this, do that, do the yeah. other thing. And his, and, his, and his right-hand man is just like, none of it is going to work. We are so, like, we're so yeah. screwed. <laughs> I told you we should have given up on this. You should have listened to me. Because yeah, it turns out yeah, the Jedi the Jedi have the Jedi have this very fearsome reputation, and yeah, they're just carving up battle droids. They've got swords that can stop bullets and cut through anything. They're just going right through these blast doors, <laughs> things that have been yes. established in other Star Wars movies that right. you just can't get through, and they're just cutting. They're just hacking right through it. Um. Yeah, and. One of the, this was something that came up in uh, the book of Boba Fett recently too. It's just like, why don't you start with the droids that have shields? It seems to really be your most it shields are are like the most powerful technology in ground conflict in Star Wars. <laughs> For whatever reason, they don't get used a whole lot. Yes. Someone pointed out to me in Twitter that oh yeah, but if you play Battlefront, yeah, everyone's got you know because what do you yep. know? It's really effective. <laughs> Turns out it works pretty well. But yeah, so um, they have to escape, and then the Jedi give us what the, they tell us what their next objective is. We've got to warn the Naboo. They refer to the people of Naboo as mm-hmm. the Naboo, and we right. have to contact the Chancellor, the guy who sent us here. We have to let him know that things are way worse. Turns out it didn't work. They are. 
yeah, we have yeah, we have information that nobody else does now that there's an army that's ready to land on this planet, that they're completely hostile, like things have gone really, really bad. Um and of course the rookie has a smart ass comment about this, you know, <laughs> negotiation. That's right. Sure. I really That's like how you and McGregor kind of really picked up on <laughs> Alex Guinness's very snarky way of saying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh and then the next thing that happens is that uh they cut that the uh, new gun ray talks to um the queen of mm-hmm. Naboo. We're in a fairy tale, so we have our That's we right. have our first one. Yeah, and um she is dressed in a way that we have never seen in a Star Wars movie before. She is dressed very ornately and regally yes. and richly. We're mm-hmm. used to seeing a very utilitarian kind of dystopian Star Wars where right. people are either the peasants or they're part of this horrible military machine. And there's mm-hmm. there's kind of no in between. This is the first like real, like even the princess in Star Wars is rather... Exactly. Is is very kind of civilian looking, but mm-hmm. this queen is really she is really really something else, um, and also like Leia, she's she's very young, but she's immediately established as this person of what of wealth and influence just in the mm-hmm. way that she looks. Um, now the chancellor has told her that he sent ambassadors, right? So. Presumably, the chancellor, one of the reasons he sends the ambassadors is he's trying to keep a lid on things like Naboo, take it easy. I'm handling this situation. Don't like everybody. Just be cool. It's possible that because he's told the Naboo out of to try and keep a lid on it, that this um, this crisis that's happening is also bad for him in some way that Mm -hmm. maybe there's going to be some blowback from this. That's why he's trying to control the situation. He's trying to also keep Naboo from making a huge stink by telling them that he's handling the situation. And the queen says to the viceroy after he denies, like, oh, I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) She says, beware, viceroy, like the Federation has gone too far this time. This time. So really the Federation there this is an ongoing thing. That's right. The Federation, the Federation has been a problem before. The, yeah, the Federation has been has been an issue of has been in these kinds of disputes with the Republic before. Mm-hmm. And this is just the one that's gone too clearly it's gone right. too far. A war is starting. Um, <laughs> but there's but it's just it's just a little line that lets us know there is a whole lot of history behind what's yes. happening here. Well, we're not seeing the event. We're seeing the straw that broke the camel's back right now. That's why it's it's not like the Trade Federation at the very first dispute, you know, decided to start landing armies. Like, nah, this has been going on for a long time, and mm-hmm. they've finally had enough, and they're finally going right. to take it this far. And yeah, the Queen has like a privy council in the way that we're kind of used to seeing with monarchs sure. in, in history and in films and TV, she has a small circle mm-hmm. of people. The small are, council. She has the small council, just like the queen of England did. There and, you go. Um, and interestingly on the hologram, she's talking to the emperor. <laughs> she's done, you know, <laughs> it's very clearly the same guy. He's got the same, same guy. Voice. It's the same actor, the same lower half yep. of the face. It's just like, Oh, we found out who the Trade Federation's man on the inside is. 
he is this guy Palpatine who's being addressed as a senator. Right. He's actually the representative of Naboo to the Republic, with the Queen mm-hmm. being its domestic ruler. He is the he's actually the one working with the Trade Federation on this deal. He's selling out, he's kind of selling out his planet. Yes. But what's in it for him? We really don't know right now. What kind of deal does he have going with the Trade Federation? We don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, the communications get fuzzed out just like Newt Gunray told us they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And one of her counselors knows what's up right away. He's like, they're going to land armies. Like yeah, right now. They they're going to do it now. We're in serious trouble. Um, <laughs> we find out that well, the captain, Panaka, refers to the Trade Federation. He's like, no, the Federation wouldn't do that. They'd lose their trade franchise. <laughs> Guess what? They don't give a shit. Yeah. Franchise is a word that really doesn't make any sense here. I The word that would make more sense is charter. It's not like... It's not like the Trade Federation is running a McDonald's, you know? They're, 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 you know uh, Corporate's not going to come kick yeah. them out. <laughs> but, like, what the line is trying to get across is that the Trade Federation is only able to do business the way they do because the Republic lets them. And if they were to invade us, then they would no longer be allowed to do that. There's no way they're going to land an army. It's kind of like the parental equivalent of a parent counting for their child. And when they get to 10, they still just keep counting because they didn't actually do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And he also says that our, our security volunteers aren't going to be able to do anything about this. Volunteers. That's a key. Yeah, so they have they have some kind of volunteer defense force, right? Mm-hmm. The Trade Federation has this army of droids that he refers right. to as being battle-hardened. So the Trade Federation has used their armies to enforce their will, probably on the planets they control, which mm-hmm. would lead me to believe that the systems of the Trade Federation may not particularly be happy about being a part of the Trade Federation. Right. Um, but that... It also suggests that the Republic does not have its own military, that the militaries of all these systems or federations or what are member worlds are all up to themselves. And in Naboo's case, they have a small vol- they have a small volunteer military that is going to be completely outclassed. So it's like, why oh, Naboo really is the perfect target for the trade federation trying to pull something like this off because they can do it so easily. They can do Mm -hmm. it so quickly. And also Naboo has a queen who's very young and says things like, I will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war when a war has, someone has declared (laughs) war on you already. War is here already. Sorry. War is, war is already here. Lady. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
And so the invasion of Naboo starts at 10 minutes into the film. <laughs> we got there. But yeah, our first five minutes got us to the Jedi being being in a fight with the Trade Federation. Our next five minutes has got us to the point to where the Federation is landing its ships. So like, look how much has happened in the first, look how long we've been talking about the first 10 minutes of the film. Yes. Yes. How how many things there are to take in, mm-hmm. as Rick McCallum would say, it's so dense. It's so <laughs> it's dense. not that the movie is confusing or incomprehensible, it's that the movie moves very fast with a lot of yes. information. Um hard to take in on your first viewing in a theater. And yeah, we fr- we get really get our first looks at Naboo during that five-minute chunk of the film because we've seen their their capital city. Um, which uh, is very is built in this very beautiful palace of fine arts in San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like neoclassical, like roaring 20s style architecture. It's very beautiful. It's very picturesque. The people are all very, very nicely dressed. This seems to be a place where people are pretty wealthy. The planet, interestingly, looks like a big park or nature preserve. You know, the Trade Federation are landing their ships and we're not seeing really fields or settlements or anything like that. It's just the big forest full of wild creatures. Yes. Um, so like maybe Naboo is like a is Naboo some kind of luxury planet? Do they buy do they import a lot of stuff from the Trade Federation? And the Trade Federation is mad that the tariffs mean they are making less money. Um, it could possibly it could be something like that. That's maybe a minor detail. Sure. But it it establishes that the Nabu, the humans who are living on this planet, are are a very well off people. Yes, they don't seem to be working particularly hard for the privilege that they're <laughs> enjoying. Right? Um, maybe it's maybe it's kind of a luxury planet, like you know, and like Andorra or you know, one of mm-hmm. these like small like European kingdoms <laughs> that have a small population and a lot of money, right? Like a little principality. Um. So, um, so yeah, the the Trade Federation know that the Jedi have escaped. There's a short little exchange, like, keep a lookout for them. <laughs> and um, it's kind of funny, though, because the very next thing that happens is Qui-Gon is running from these tanks right. um, that don't even notice he's there. Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll keep a lookout <laughs> for them. But then, yeah, like, we got we'll see this guy. The... The way that the movie pulls it off is that he's running in like this herd of animals. So mm-hmm. maybe droids aren't perceptive sure. enough to yeah. know. It's the just one big between, life form. Yeah. Between Qui-Gon and this weird frog slash elk thing that's <laughs> running along next to him. And, um, and yeah, then we meet Jar Jar Binks who Qui-Gon, the veteran immediately just hates just for no reason. <laughs> he just immediately dismisses this guy insults his intelligence um <laughs> the ability, to, make, the ability to, to speak does yeah not make or, Jar Jar points out to him dude i'm speaking your language I'm you're on my you. planet exactly. <laughs> and i'm speaking in your language and you're calling me an idiot yeah and, and qui-gon just doubles down and yeah, says, yeah, yeah just, uh, just immediately dismisses him too yeah because like i mean it's you know it's it's something in star wars is that you know the people in charge are usually humans and they usually have English accents. Exactly. The Jedi, like, there's a there's a bit of like a class thing here, and the Jedi are mm-hmm. kind of part of this ruling class. 
They're acting mysteriously kind of as instruments of the Republic, even though they're not elected. They're kind of a monastic knightly order that answers to the executive commander without regular people knowing about it. Yep. It's kind of a, sh it, and sort of seems like they do whatever they want. <laughs> he comes to this planet that presumably he's never been to before Meets one of the locals and immediately goes, fuck off, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're dumb. Get out of here. Yeah, like me, one of the one of the people in charge, knows what I'm doing. Go away. It's um, weird. It almost has that weird British imperialism thing that we're talking it, about over and over it, again. It really, it really does. And that's the British imperialism, like late 19th century lead up to World War One stuff, yep. is kind of is kind of all over this movie. Um, we're up here. The rest of you dum dums are down yeah. here. And it's like that is the kind of stuff that led up to World War One, and like the one of the things that the invasion of Naboo really reminds me of is the uh, is the Opium War that mm -hmm. happened between uh, England primarily, but also the rest of Europe because they just kind of piled on to it, sure. and China because there there was the trade going on that was the East India Trading Company mm -hmm. um, with. China, which was this very large nation that at that time was doing okay. But the thing was, is that China was this very self-sufficient nation. It was really, really right. large. They didn't need anything that the East India Company had. And so, but they, they had stuff that the East India Company wanted. They had silks Correct. and they had tea and they had this like exotic stuff that was worth money in the core, but <laughs> they were having to fork over currency for it, silver. And this is yes. back before fiat currency. The currency is a physical mm -hmm. object. You can yeah. run out of it. Yes, um, it goes so away, it goes away. This was a trade imbalance. It was a, the Chinese, they're giving us a bad deal. It's the worst deal anyone's ever seen. <laughs> I imagine someone could have been saying at that time. For sure. Um, and the inciting incident is when, uh, is when what the East India Company figures out what they can sell in China is opium because that's grown in India. China doesn't grow opium and they can sell it. However, it's illegal to do that in China because opium, which is a medicinal drug, um, it was found out that you could smoke it and thus it could be abused. And it started to cause an opioid crisis in China. Mm -hmm. And China's executive commander, their emperor, said this shit is now illegal. We are no <laughs> longer importing any of it. So the East India Company starts smuggling it. Um, it or like their affiliates who are working with them. Yeah. There was probably some arms link stuff, if I remember correctly. But some guys get caught. All of the opium gets seized. Um, and the Chinese burn it. They just mm -hmm. destroy it. So this is potentially a bad situation because you've got each side has a military. Yep. Um, England intervene. England, their actual government, their navy checks out. They they intervene in the situation. They go, okay, you can keep the opium and burn it. The government of England is going to pay the East India Company for their losses. But then what they said was, this financial law, this financial loss. Is a cat is that is a casus belli. It is it gives us a reason to go to war. This was enough mm -hmm. money that it justifies us going to war with China. 
China did not have the advanced military that England did, and it was this massively one-sided conflict. We're not only England, but several other countries who also wanted to do business in China, but were having trouble with it, just sort of piled on, and they just beat the absolute shit out of China. And then they forced the Chinese to sign what are referred to as a series of unequal treaties that basically mm -hmm. said, okay, guys, the war was our fault. We're, we're sorry that you had to invade us and we're going to give you more access to our ports. You're going to be allowed to run some things over here. And also here's a bunch of money compensating you for the financial loss that you took going to war <laughs> against us and beating crap out of us. Ter yep. Awful. It's yeah. this really, it's this really, really terrible event that absolutely crushes China for a very long time after that. A lot of like, a lot of, a lot of like common people end up leaving China and taking these awful indentured servitude contracts in countries like the United States building railroads mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and like, you know, this, this age of European empires, these guys were also desperate for China because they were at all of these different rivalries with each other. Everything was held together by this complex system of debt and like difficult diplomatic agreements. And something like World War I happening was kind of inevitable. And the sure. Opium War was this conflict that happened kind of on the way there. Um, and the whole thing of this economic loss constitute gives us a reason to go to war is kind of what the Trade Federation is doing with Naboo. They're like, mm -hmm. we're taking a significant enough of loss here that we are considering it material in such a way that military action is justified. So here we yes. come. <laughs> um, anyway, that and so we've got one of the and so we have Jar Jar, the first like yes. indigenous person of one of of one of these like non-core mm -hmm. worlds that we're meeting. He's immediately dismissed as being stupid and backwards. After right. all, he doesn't look he doesn't really look like them, he doesn't talk like them, etc. Um interestingly, Obi-Wan has been found and is being chased and is rescued. <laughs> um and like the first thing that Obi Obi-Wan takes a look at Jar Jar and goes, What's this? <laughs> What's this say, thing? He doesn't say who's this. Correct. What's like this? they in, like even the rookie is just immediately like, you know. They're going to dismiss him until he points out to them that he can be useful to them. He's like, you know, you really should just hide because that's what <laughs> we did. <Yeah. laughs> like the safest place you could be is where I'm from, which is the right. city that's under this, this city under the water. Um, I'm not supposed to take you there, <laughs> but I'm all Oh, right. I'm not supposed to take you there. And then they basically threaten him until he does. Right. Um, they intimidate him into taking him, <laughs> taking them to the secret city that they're not supposed to know about. Which is interesting. These guys shouldn't know. These humans, they're humans. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the Naboo are. Interesting that the planet is called Naboo. The humans are called Naboo. Right. Jar Jar's people who are actually from there are not called the Naboo. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It, it it lets us know what's it kind of lets us know what's going on on this planet. Exactly. And yeah, we get down to the hidden city, and it's actually kind of technologically advanced. Mm -hmm. The Gungans live in air bubbles. 
So they're underwater, but underwater isn't their natural habitat. They're good swimmers and everything, but they don't sure. have gills. They breathe right. air and they walk around on two feet. The Gungans are surface dwellers yes. who are hiding from the humans. They've been driven under here in one right. way or the other, and this is mm -hmm. where they are hiding out. And like the Republic doesn't appear to have any relationship to them. They don't really seem to know much about who the Jedi are. They just know how there's the Naboo and we don't, we don't like them. But right. like one could assume that the Gungans don't have any communications with the Republic at all. It's yeah. They're, really, they're kind of fine to just hide out and do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, it's, as they're, we they're kind of, out, they're kind of like the Wakandans of star Wars. They're like, just leave us alone. We're going to stay down here with our magic orbs and other yeah, things. Just like, okay. Yeah. Like fine. If you're going to be dicks about it. Sure. We'll be yeah, down. Fine. Here. We'll take our toys and go or take oh, our technology and go into species. the water. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah cool. Call me, call me when you need help. Yeah. And so we finish our next five, 15 minute chunk here. Yeah. When they get to the the <laughs> when they get to the ruling council of this underwater city, we're at about fifty minutes in. Um, and it's so funny because like the you know the their boss um, Brian Blessed, uh, yes. you know says to them, "We don't like the Naboo essentially because they think they're superior to us." And uh, Qui Gon basically says, "Yes." We are now yes, help us out. <laughs> like Obi Wan goes so far to to tell them like to tell them like well yeah but what affects them affects you like you have to get that right you moron yeah, you understand that so yeah, yeah eventually they just trick them you know yeah it, they just impose their will on them as yeah, yeah they have exactly been they're just doing what the Naboo do to them which is just <laughs> make them give them something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so then they finally have their their way their way out of this you know their whole thing was their objective was warn the Naboo contact Chancellor Valorum they've not managed to do either of those things at this they haven't point. done any of this they're so way these two behind. super secret spies are really not great at their job no they're they are way behind the ball things are not things are not going well um and yeah the we go back to um to Lord Sidious talking to the Trade Federation. Mm -hmm. He's informed them that he has the Senate bogged down in procedures. Right. Um, so he's given the guy on the inside, work. the guy on the inside, he's just like, look, I'm making sure the Republic doesn't know what's going on here yet. You know, it's not like, it's not, he mentions, I believe he first mentions the treaty here. She's right. young and I want the treaty signed. She's young She's naive. Figure how hard could it be? Figure it and like <laughs> get it. it. I'll keep stalling, but you need to get this yeah. done. Because right. the okay, so the idea is like the opium war. We get them to sign an unequal treaty that says what you're doing here is fine, and then we take that back to the Senate and say, "See, problem solved." Because <laughs> the Senate won't have gotten anything done. Yeah, and basically Naboo will just be your planet now. Yeah, it'll just be a part of the Trade Federation. Um, and, uh, then we have all of our fish hijinks that go on, which is <laughs> the bongo is one of the strangest parts in the Phantom Menace to me, because it's one of the parts of the movie that I'm not entirely sure what we're supposed to be getting out of it. Right. It seems to be there just so that we know how the Jedi get from point A to point B. 
But weirdly, there's two different sequences of it. There's mm-hmm. the sequence where Jar Jar talks about being clumsy. That seems to be the reason right. for the scene is to establish <laughs> that he's a boob, as if we hadn't seen that before. Right. <laughs> then there's the scene with Lord Sidious, and then there's another scene where the ship breaks down, and then the big fish thing happens. Yes. I don't know what we're supposed to. Yeah, I don't. I don't sure know what exactly we get from why that. the underwater portions of the film are here, other <laughs> than just for we need some kind of thing with a vehicle to be happening at this point of the movie to keep people to like keep someone who's like getting bored with the politics interested. We need to try. We got to drive somewhere. There needs to be something action y happening, like the chase right. scene with the two fit. I think that's the reason that this is here, because it's yeah. again, it, this is happening about twenty minutes in. Like in the five minute chunks, like something big needs yep. to happen every single time. And I think that's what it is. And then and then finally, the very last part of this yes. of this is we see the invasion of Naboo happening mm-hmm. and of the capital city happening. The Trade Federation just marches right in to yep. no resistance whatsoever. They've captured the queen. The. Uh, and the Jedi are nowhere to be seen. They basically failed mm-hmm. at this point. Correct. Not only did they not warn the Naboo, but the Naboo's capital city has been captured. Yeah. And um, and yeah, we and then we finally solidly get what the plan is: um, that the Queen is going to sign a treaty that will legitimize the occupation. So, really, the first twenty-two minutes of the movie. Um, sort of establishes why the events of this movie are happening. Mm-hmm. Gives us some key information about the about the Republic, kind of why things are unstable. This weird situation that the that the Jedi are in <laughs> gives us kind of an idea of, of the politics of it. How this Republic is functionally already an empire, um, and it tries to do this as quickly as possible because we need to get to escaping the planet with the Queen and going That's to right. Tatooine. We've got to and get so, to all yeah. the other cool guys yeah, that have the, been teased. That's right. And so, yeah. So the first 20 minutes of this movie ends up being so dense yes. because and so it, much Rick, stuff. Rick McCallum nails it. Yeah, he nails it. So much stuff has to happen before you can meet Anakin Skywalker, which is the entire point of that's these why we're movies. here. <laughs> that's why we've shown up. I love that. Yeah. And it is dense is the word and Rick McCallum nailed it, which Rick McCallum pretty much always nailed it when he talked about things. Yeah. Um, With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
so as we go from that, we have a second and a third question. And I think that in the second question, you know, if the first question is what is the text telling us, it's that literal interpretation. The second question that I usually use is what is the text asking of us? And for me, this is always kind of what is the inspirational interpretation of these minutes? What are the things that you kind of get on an inspirational level from looking at this part of the movie? It's um, sort of what I feel like the movie is trying to get you to like kind of imagine beyond the mm -hmm. actual events of it is that, yeah, the problems that this really large society is having have been around for a very, very long time. Right. And interestingly, the good old days that Obi-Wan is talking about in that monologue in Star Wars, mm -hmm. he may not have actually been alive for them. Right. By the time Obi-Wan is on the scene, things he's a young guy and things right. are breaking down. Yeah, things he's, have already started to go sideways. Yeah, he's, I mean, as an old man, he's looking back and going, you know, things used to be better before. And then we watched the prequels and we're like, did they really? Because <laughs> this doesn't look like, this doesn't look so great. It's something that's so interesting about George Lucas to me is how interested he is in, um, in his films in dystopias. But mm -hmm. like in a like dystopia, like nostalgic ones, though, kind of because like THX 1138, it's this incredibly oppressive dystopian society. Right. But it looks really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just like, ooh, it's the really slick technocratic future. Oh, except it's actually a nightmare when you get under the surface. <laughs> of it. And like American Graffiti is this movie about kind of the magic of being in high school that well of our parents you know right. is yeah. the same age as both your parents and mine correct you know it's like what what was it like to be the first generation of teenagers mm -hmm. and kind of this seemingly idyllic time after world war ii with the cars were cool there's you know the cars and music and like the the whole like good times small town stuff but it's also just like but yeah you're in modesto <laughs> it's a place that people want to get out of and right. like how do you get how do you get out of modesto mm -hmm. it's not is it really what like is it really where you want to be um the end of the <laughs> like oh god the end of american graffiti it hits you it like hits you so hard because you've had this kind of like our childhood is over thing. Ron Howard really wants to marry his high school sweetheart, you mm -hmm. know, and stay forever. Um, Richard Dreyfus wants to kind of find out what it's like to be outside the law. Maybe that's where the answers right. are. He's going to hang out with the Pharaohs. Uh, John just wants to race his car and be cool forever. Just wants to but race. That his doesn't car. go, but then there's this huge crash and they all realize at the end of the movie, we're teenagers, but our lives could be over at any moment. And Terry who just like wants to get a girl and be like the other cool guys with the cool car. And he's kind of renting his prestige. He kind of looks at these other guys and sees that they don't know what the hell is going on either. And then the ending card of the movie is <laughs> well, Ron Howard, you know, he, he goes to go, he doesn't marry his high school sweetheart. He ends up back in Modesto selling insurance. Right. Richard Dreyfus runs away to Canada because he gets drafted. He can never go he gets home. Drafted, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> John dies in a drunk driving accident and Terry mm-hmm. gets killed in Vietnam. Right. Fuck. There's this nostalgic veneer over this really terrible time. Really? Actually. Yeah. You know? And we kind of, there's a bit of this in The Phantom Menace too. There's a mm-hmm. lot of pomp and majesty and stuff going on, but underneath it, the world is not working very well. That's right. A lot of people are suffering and being treated very badly. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things that's so interesting about this movie is that, like, George Lucas really likes ensemble. Yes. Um, in turn, you know, he likes having more than one uh, character to see the world through. Mm-hmm. But figuring out who the protagonist of the Phantom Menace is is not easy. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not. And again, part of because you can't be on his page. You really—he's the veteran. He's not the guy yeah. who you can see the movie through. It's not mm-hmm. Dirty Harry. You know, it's Star Wars. Right. It's not really Obi Wan because he's not in the movie very much, actually. Yeah, like he spends the—he spends most of the movie trying to fix a car. Um, <laughs> it's not Anakin. He's—he's he's a child. He's a kid. Right. Um. It might actually be Padme because she's the only person who has a very strong character arc because she's this person of privilege who Mm -hmm. learns that this things aren't so great lives in that she thought was very peaceful and just and that there were enough resources for everyone. She finds out that none of these things were true. Right. And then she decides that she's just like, you know what, I have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I can't just sit back and be safe like I have my whole life. I have to go back in and do something. Um, yeah. And so, and because like Padme is the person who understands that veneer of nostalgia over the problems of the world, like she's the one who can't be satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of makes her the protect. That's that I think. It, and you know, the fact that she realizes it is the thing that I makes her kind of a protagonist. And just right. the fact that this is how the world works mm-hmm. is very much what I think we're supposed to, something that we're supposed to be getting out of The Phantom Menace. Absolutely. Is that is, and very much in the title, things are not really what they seem to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, the thing that I jotted down looking at it from an inspirational standpoint ties exactly into what you say. And especially through the lens of Padme which is we're being asked to feel for others and we're being asked to see below the surface. We're asking, being asked to see beyond the shine and the pretty costumes and the great lush jungle and the fancy underwater bubbles, which is a way for people who have been pushed down and told they're less than that's That's a defense mechanism. It's them hiding out because they were told you don't belong here, which of course Mm -hmm. is something we see in our world all the time now. And so if I'm taking, you know, in this text, what is the inspiration I'm taking from it? It's, and it really will tie into my, the third question, the practical, where do I go from here? How do I apply this in my life? And I'll just lead into that with my answer. And then I'd love to hear yours is what is the text asking of me, which is that practical? What do I, how do I apply it in my life? It's asking me to look around. It's asking me to pay attention. It's asking me to see beyond my comfortable middle-class American existence and life as a white guy who kind of hits all the boxes and privilege and all the things that we know so much about in this country or that Padme knew growing up being who she was. She came from privilege. She came from lake houses and summer camps and laying on the sand with Paolo and all these other things 
to being a queen and to having mm-hmm. the costumes and the trappings, but looking up and realizing things are bad. And I'm up here, you know, in my fancy existence, in my bubble, but we have Gungans. We have, you know, our own people who are being mistreated and pushed out. And so I think for me, the practical question, the practical takeaway I have in these minutes is to look beyond the surface, to look into my daily life, to carry on and see beyond. Oh, that looks cool. But, you know, and even on a one to one basis, I talk a lot about mental health. I have a lot of, you know, personal experiences with family members and people like that. That's as much of it as anything too. look beyond the surface. They seem like they're fine, but find a chance to see, is somebody okay? Is there something else I can be doing based on the privilege I have based on whatever my station in life is? Is there something else there? That's my inspirational, you know, that's my takeaway. That's my practical application is to look around, is to pay attention. Um, In these moments and what you see, do you have something, do you have a practical to kind of go along with that? I, you know, I I really do agree with that because I think that the, like we're saying, the text also speaks to that too. It's the first conversation that the Jedi have in this film Mm -hmm. is the veteran tells the rookie, you need to really pay attention to what's right. You you really need to see what's happening around you. Don't get preoccupied with Mm -hmm. what master Yoda told you or what you think might happen in the future. You really need to, it's just like, you really need to see what's going, you really need to see what's Mm -hmm. going on. Cause that's the, cause yeah, like people not seeing what's going on is what leads to so many of the tragic events in star Wars. The sky, Senator Palpatine, no one understands what he's up to until it's too late because they're mm-hmm. not looking they're not looking past the surface of it um and just like it's another reason that i think i think of padme as being the protagonist of the film is that sure. like so many people like so many people who who live in a who live in you know the imperial core now mm-hmm. so many of us don't realize that slavery does still exist in the world right like it's just like oh it's cuz padme says what the what all of us would say Oh, well, that's not legal anymore. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's not yeah. legal anymore. Things aren't, but you know, there are people who, but there are people who don't follow the law or there right. are people who are supposed to enforce the law who don't care. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or those laws it, got changed into something else. It became poll yeah. taxes and it became literally literacy tests for voting. It became, that's you right. know, that, that slavery isn't slavery, but it is, it's economic slavery. It's, you know, there's all the other ways that, you know, the ones at the top figured out a way to still do it. And it's kind of like the Trade Federation. Okay, so they're going to reject my charter. Screw you. I've got other ways to still do what I'm going to do. Yeah, I can I can I can basically just march in here, take the place over, get them to sign a treaty. And I did nothing wrong. Right. I didn't break the yeah. law because <laughs> break the, law. the paperwork I has what been, I wanted. Yeah, because I filed the paperwork correctly. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, because, yeah, you know like Qui-Gon gets talked about, it's just like Obi-Wan says something like, you know, you'd be running, you'd be one of the guys running things if you, if you weren't like this. Yeah. Cause, but Qui-Gon just like those guys, he's basically just like, those guys don't know what's up. They don't mm-hmm. actually pay it. They're right. They're kind of in their, they're, they're part of the status <laughs> quo and I'm not actually, yep. and Qui-Gon may not actually be interested in that. Just mm-hmm. again, Obi-Wan's thing about the Jedi Knights were the protectors of peace and justice. And we see in the prequels that the Jedi 
that okay that may be one of their ideals right but if all they're doing is upholding the status quo which is what yeah. the chancellor wants them to do mm-hmm. you know that's the relationship they have with the government is to just keep things running smoothly then the peace and the justice stuff may go but actually go by the wayside yeah and then and we see of course when we get to attack of the clones and revenge of the sith they just become a part of the imperial mil- or the galactic senate military they, they become the generals they immediately do the Jedi yeah. start the war. Yeah. They start the war. That's something yep. that I think sometimes we forget when we're watching Attack Absolutely. of the Clones is that the Republic starts the war by invading. They just invade Geonosis. Yep. Like a guy just goes there on his own, <laughs> you know, based on his investigation or whatever. And they send an entire army to rescue three people. Yep. <laughs> like I, include including all of the rest of the psychic li- wizards with swords. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. It like it gets out of hand so fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this as a final comment from Michael. For real, Apo Rancisis just wants to be eating all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um Peter, this has been a fabulous conversation. I have really enjoyed this and I could sit and talk just about one-to-one real world history comparisons in star Wars for hours. Um, so we may, we may have to do that again somewhere down the road and try yeah, to bring fun. out some other, you know, great comparisons, great connections. Cause I love that kind of stuff. Um, before we get out of here, um, is there anything that you can plug? Is there anywhere anybody can find you? Like I said, I know you're periodically on Twitter, but you see it for the wasteland that most of the rest of us see it as most of the time too. So, yeah, um, I am on Twitter. Um, if you want to, if you want to say hi to me on Twitter, uh, you do have to follow me first because my account is private. Um, not because anything bad happened. My account yeah. is private just so that when I make dumb jokes about Star Wars, I don't get <laughs> 500 people taking me very seriously, telling me why I'm wrong. It's just ha- totally like fair. after a while that gets old. <laughs> That's right. Self-defense. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I, yeah. And also like, um, I kind of think of it as taking myself out of the numbers game. Cause it's yes. just like, once you turn off retweets, Yep. Um, and like you don't have a post that does numbers or anything like that. And you don't have people who you don't know liking liking a tweet mm-hmm. that you made. It's like you'll say something funny and then like 10 or 15 people go, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a reasonable <laughs> number of people. Absolutely. To tell me to, 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 to say yeah. that. I don't need thousands well, like you of people something. approving of any of my thoughts. Just Correct. a few people. That's good. That's 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 a decent I don't, thing. I don't need that kind of support. I don't need them to encourage me. I, yeah, no. To, that's 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 more people than I than I need <laughs> to to laugh at anything that I said. So yeah, but if um yeah, if you would like to interact with me on Twitter, um, uh, do a follow request at Townley Peter, and um, if we have. If we have accounts that we follow in common, I, you know, like yours, um, okay. then yeah, then I'll approve it and we'll be online buds. So absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> well, this has truly been a fantastic conversation. It's been a pleasure for me to have you on. So thank it's you been so great. much it's, for being a part of it. Any day I get to talk star way too much about Star Wars uh, is always fun. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Podcast of the Wheels. I want to send an extra special thank you to our guest, Peter Townley, for the fun conversation, the great history lesson, and all the fun knowledge that he brings to Star Wars. 
the world is a better place by having Peter in it and hearing his love of Star Wars, which is evident in all the things that he engages and interacts with. So thanks to Peter. And also thanks to you for listening. Again, as we said at the beginning of the show, if you are new to Podcast of the Wheels, if you're new to the ATG Cast stream, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're one of our returning listeners, thank you so much for being here. We love each and every one of you, and we're humbled and blessed that you would take some time to listen to the show, to hang out with us. If you want to know more about ATG Cast and all the different things that we are doing, be sure to check out ATGCast.com. You'll get all the information about Around the Galaxy, Disturbances in the Force, streaming Star Wars, Podcast of the Wheels, merch, social media, all the things that you need to know. And coming up in just a few short weeks, ATG Cast is going to be at Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim. And we can't wait to bring you some content from there. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but we're excited and we're looking forward to continuing to share great Star Wars conversations with each and every one of you. So until the next time, may the Force be with you. Always. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.